find John chapter number 6 with me. You happen to be a, a first-time or, or seldom uh, guest of ours. Um, we march straight through books of the Bible. We don't skip a verse. And what's interesting is uh, tonight might be one of those... Uh, well, I mean, one of those times that if we didn't have that commitment, we might be tempted to skip over this passage. If Christianity were just boiled down to marketing, this is an anti-marketing passage. This is one of those moments where if it was about getting as many customers as possible, they get as a big crowd and then run most of them off. Um, and so you'd be tempted. You'd be tempted to just say, let me go to an easier to talk about passage. Uh, but we don't do that. Secondly, secondly, you could see this as a passage where it's a how-to and a don't-do, a how-to draw a crowd and what you don't do to run them off. Well, it's not about that. This is an unadulterated exchange as part of a discourse from Jesus where people just flat out don't like what Jesus has to say. And I would say that if you spent much time in the Bible— you're going to find some things in the Bible that you don't like what it says. You just don't. Um, whether it's one of those uh, owies, it hurts because you find yourself guilty, or it's one of those owies because you find yourself inactive. It's like it's telling you to do something and you're not doing it. That, that sort of owie. Or it's an owie where you say, I totally understand that, but I find that very difficult to take in. Well, here's one of these ones. And, you know, snow got us a couple weeks ago. And we didn't meet together. This passage was supposed to be that uh, last week uh, because of the snow. And uh, God, in his uh, awesome sovereignty, waited till we could get the biggest crowd possible to give the most difficult passage. So we got the biggest crowd, and now we're going to run some of y'all off. <laughs> Woo! I'm so excited about <clears throat> John chapter 6. And we're going to concentrate on verses 67 through 71, but to give some of the context... I want to back up and begin reading from verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, pause, what did they hear? They heard him say, if you do not eat my flesh like bread and drink my blood like wine, you, you will not live. In other words, if you don't have a full dependence on me as the special nutrition that comes from heaven, the life-sustaining bread and the sin-forgiving blood, if you don't take that on all the time, you don't have any part with me, you don't have any fellowship with God. That's, that when they say, heard it, that's the it. The antecedent to it is all this very difficult things he just said. When many of his disciples heard it, what did they say, church? Read it together. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Or if you speak fluent Scooby-Doo. Carson speaks fluent Scooby-Doo. Rut row. Verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were, people don't do that, do they? What were they grumbling about? Just stuff? What were they grumbling about, church? This. This is it. What is it? That Jesus is the special thing from heaven, and if you don't sup on him, you have no part with God, okay? When Jesus heard his disciples, knowing in himself his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? I don't even remember where the quote comes from, but 
some guy stuck in my mind, this guy in a movie or something said, do I offend? That's what, do I offend? All right, has Jesus ever offended you? Raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you don't know much about him. Just being honest. Verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. Say it together, church. The flesh is no help at all. Everyone who thinks they had some part in saving themselves, you're now in a full force engagement and argument with Jesus. I did this, I did that. What did he just say, church? What did he just say? Well, you, some of you. What did he say, church? Now, everyone just preached. It goes on. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And it was who would betray him. And who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, open it to us, and Holy Spirit, we want to do more than deal with an ancient literary text. We understand that this word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It wants to deal with us. So Holy Spirit, by your power, cause your word to deal with us. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. A few quick things, a few quick things. One. We need to deal with a tough reality. Jesus just said, one of you is a devil. Wow. <laughs> so what if we were in a business meeting and I just said, hey, one of you is a devil. What would, what would happen, guys? We'd all start trying to figure out who the devil is. Jesus is just point blank said, one of you is a devil. Time out problem. Does anyone know what the problem is here? Let's see if we can review. How many apostles were there? Twelve. You guys are brilliant. Who specially picked every single one of these apostles? Ruh row. Scooby-Doo's back. So who has picked this devil? Thinking emoji. This is a tough reality because it's hard for us to imagine that sweet little baby Jesus pawing the sky from his manger would choose a devil. But it's comforting to me to know that he would choose one who would play the part of the devil's handmaiden to accomplish the purposes of God. 
Why does that comfort me? Because the one who would seek to destroy him does not match him. So the one who is no match for him simply becomes used by him. You want a question for why does all the evil happen? I'm going to give you a two-part answer. One, because the world is broken. Two, because God's going to use that evil. And this is a potent reminder. <laughs> you got your closest followers. All right, try this. Any of you guys who are supervisors at work, have a staff meeting in the morning and just say, one of you is a devil. See how the rest of it. Oh, we got staff meeting and my life matters tomorrow. I'm going to try. One of you is a devil. <laughs> Brett says not it. Amy pointed at Brett. <laughs> We're off to a banner start. Right? If, uh, you know, if my wife's a teacher. You know, if you're a teacher, just go into class tomorrow and say, one of y'all is a devil. A couple of them would volunteer. <laughs> I'll do it today. No problem. This is sovereignty in action in such a confrontational way that, as John Piper says in, in, in some comments on this passage, John Piper says there are two ways here, and you got to pick a way. One way unseats your confidence and makes you think God must be off his rocker and incapable of running the universe that he said he created. The other way says he is so omnipotent that even what is evil is not out of his scope of usefulness. I'll take that lane. Because it's consistent. If we were to sum it up in one man's testimony, we might pick Joseph. What did Joseph say at the end of Genesis? What you meant for evil, what? God meant for good. You can't swear of God. There's a reality we're dealing with. Now, let's dive in and give you a few quick things. Verse 66 tells me an important truth. Not everyone who spends a season with Jesus will be eternally with Jesus. Go back and look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. His disciples, this means people who were actively following him, have now heard a hard truth and they are actively leaving him. See, wouldn't it be fun just to skip over this passage? <laughs> Amen. You know what this means, guys? This means that some people... Some people have this season where they look like they're following Jesus, but it's just a season. You say, what if that's me? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. Come back in 20 years. Tell me how you're doing. I mean, how are you going to know whether you're going to stick with Jesus is whether you stick with Jesus. These people didn't stick with Jesus. Why didn't they stick with Jesus because this had been a hard saying. You remember that in verse 60? We read it out loud together. This is a hard saying. Now, what is your hard saying that might make you depart from Jesus? If Jesus wanted to direct, if Jesus wanted to have some say over your body, over your money, if he wanted to give you a list of do's and don't do's related to your stewardship, your sexuality, how many people walk away from Jesus on those issues? How many people would walk away from just Jesus because he would say, forgive someone who you absolutely don't want to forgive? How many people would walk away from Jesus because he shows you unequivocally you're not God and he is? The issue they walk away from is Jesus saying, I'm it. 
And if you don't have me, you don't have anything. And they, they's like, you are equating yourself with God, and we don't believe it, and we're walking away. Alistair Begg said this. He said, I can tell you how to have as many people as possible. You just dilute the demands of discipleship in Christ. But if you're going to let Jesus speak, then the numbers will inevitably diminish. Y'all believe that to be true? Let's just be nice and do nice things and never confront, never preach the truth. Let's have a, a real heartwarming gathering every time with, with really heartwarming emotional music. And let's say everything's okay and nothing's wrong and your truth is your truth. And problem is every one of those statements just runs smack dab into Jesus. He says, I'm the truth. And he means that exclusively. He says, I'm worthy of worship. This passage is so in your face. It looks like a smart preacher would have skipped over this when you had so many guests. Well, fortunately for y'all, you don't have a smart preacher. <laughs> Secondly, stealing a quote from R.C. Sproul is my second point. R.C. Sproul would say of this passage, if you have it, that is, if you have genuine faith, and are in a state of saving grace, you will never lose it. If you lose it, you never had it. Now, Jake, I'm glad to see you're home from uh, NC State. Jake, this is the point where we stop, right? And what do we do? We just read the whole book of Hebrews, right? Wouldn't that make sense right here? So everyone, if we could turn to Hebrews 1.1. Jake gave about a year of his life studying through. It's what it answers, isn't it? Those who fell away. That's that, that whole book's about that. And uh, Jake, would you agree with me? It doesn't pull any punches, does it? None. Look at what happens. These people who were rushing to boats, frantically going around and across lakes looking for this Jesus who's multiplying bread and fishes, who's filling up their bellies, this Jesus who might, they might position as king to kick the Romans out. And then he says, no, really what you need is me for eternal sustenance. And they go, mm, check please. Now I want to say something very pointedly here. Does this mean believers cannot go through a season of difficult times. No, it does not mean that. Believers can go through a season of difficult time, but the question will be, which characterizes their walk of Jesus, seasoned by doubt or seasons of doubt? Seasons of faithlessness or seasoned in faithfulness? Which have you spent most of your time in? Season of worldly decisions or seasoned in worldly decisions. I go on and on and on. You see the difference. One is what you sprinkle salt on. The other one is what you jam down into the middle of salt. One is, has a little seasoning. The other one is seasoned. It's a tough passage. It gets harder. Thirdly, Jesus may or circumstances might Question your soul. Go back and look at verse 67 in your Bible. Look at what he says to him in verse 67. 
He says, uh, so Jesus says to this well, do you want to go away as well? Is this going to be the thing that you part company with Jesus about? Now, I, I've done a lot of bad things in my life. If you know me at all, I'm pretty open about my story. I, I mean, you know, but everyone has morals. And for me, I, I wouldn't, in, in my crazy days of being a criminal, I wouldn't sell drugs and I wouldn't steal, right? So um, had been doing some, some sort of silly mess with some friends one night, and, and they wanted to steal a guy's tractor and joyride on it. I mean, you might be a redneck if. You go riding, joyriding on a 12 miles per hour tractor. <laughs> you might be a redneck. Right. And, um, and I just said no. You know, I, I said no. And they thought it was ridiculous. They said, we just did this and we just did that. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going any farther here. This, I've gone as far as I'm going to go. Even immoral people have some morals, and they were crossing my moral boundary. Problem was, I had ridden with them. So what had to happen now? You know, you would think I would have to walk. So I wouldn't steal this farmer's tractor, but I took that car and left. <laughs> I came back and got him some hours later. See, a lot of people want to do that with Jesus. They want to say, I'm going to walk away from that, but I'm keeping the keys to the ride. Well, I think, let me see if I can find it. I think the Bible says, oh, here it is. Homie, don't play that. You either get all of Jesus and the rigorous difficulty of walking into it, or you part company with Jesus. Jesus would put it this succinctly. He would say, you are either what? Who knows it? With me or against me. But wait, preacher, what about the gray area? Wait, let's quote Jesus. You are either with me, the gray areas, or the like if. If a bullfrog had wings, he wouldn't bump his hiney every time he jumped. You're with him or you ain't. Somebody ought to have said amen in his house. What circumstances might question your soul? What would Jesus say to you tonight? Remember, Last week, he told us, point blank in the scriptures, that to become an adopted child of God, the work you do that is to believe on him. So he might ask you tonight, do you believe on me? I can tell you, these children, every time my somebody gets baptized, I've watched their parents explain to them. They've squirmed, you know. I see Catherine back there nodding your head. You know exactly, right? Right? Because what was happening, they were intrigued by this, but who was engaging with them? The Lord. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, I walked into the kitchen and uh, Micah and at least 400 children were making some sort of mess with beads back there earlier. And I was getting something, and Micah goes, Tim, are we going to have the Lord's Supper after baptism? I said, yes. He went, yes. You know why? Because this is his first one. He's been squirming and questioning. Why has he been squirming and questioning? Does he just want to have this disgusting little prepack thing with us? <laughs> Curse you, COVID! 
No, because God's been causing him to question and squirm. Jesus might ask you, do you believe? Fourthly, Peter's confession in this passage reveals the greatest gift ever received. Now, I, I, I put it like that on, on purpose. Who received the gift? Did Jesus receive the gift? Somebody be brave enough to answer. Who received the gift here? Peter received the gift. Now, this is sort of a sad little scene. Do you guys want to leave? No, I reckon we ain't got nowhere else to go. It's not like that, though. You don't want to depart either, do you? No. It's deep. It's hard. It's heavy. I imagine it's deeply emotional. But Peter has said there's this difficulty that comes with the truth. And there's a greater difficulty if we ignore the truth. He has weighed two terrible things. What is the difficulty if he receives the truth of Jesus? And Jesus is the Lord. He's boss. And that means he's going to get all up into your business. What does it mean if you refuse? Well, if Jesus is wrong, it means nothing. Yay! But if Jesus is right, you miss fellowship with God for eternity. Who receives the gift? Now, I would love to get into this. Let me just quote one passage in the plain-spoken New Living Translation. New Living paraphrase. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, who is also who? Who is this? It's Peter. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Where'd the gift come from? Came from God. Wow. This is so awesome. You back up into John chapter 5, Jesus himself calls forward four witnesses. He says, the Father's been speaking through John. The Father has been speaking through these works that I do. The Father is speaking himself into you. And if you don't have me abiding in you, the Father hasn't spoken to you. And the Father is speaking through the scriptures. And from Genesis to Revelation, the whole book is about Jesus. Anybody who gets Jesus, however they got Jesus, it was God who gave them Jesus. It's all his work. So when Peter makes his confession, it's not a gift to Jesus that he makes this confession. It's a gift to Peter that he's able to make this confession. <sighs> if you have come to believe on the Lord Jesus, you got a gift directly from God himself. You know how powerful that is? What a treasure. I use this illustration all the time because it's true. I carry around this pocket knife. It's, it's, I've sharpened it so many times I've gotten up to the thick part of the blade. It won't stay sharp. But my friend Grayley, Whitley gave us some, Gray, Grayley Whitlow gave it to me, and I can't just throw it away. I can't. It makes me think of my friend. A recipe book you got from your great aunt. We all are sentimental about things. If we can get some treasure that evokes memories and good times in us, how much more important if the life that comes through Jesus is given to us by God himself, shouldn't this treasure affect us? Do you want to walk away? We can't. Walking with you is difficult. Not walking with you is more difficult. We've come to realize you're it. You're the truth. Lastly and quickly, the question to each of us tonight is not whether someone else has not believed, but have you or I believed? 
If you go back to verses 70 and 71, Jesus just plainly tells them, didn't I pick you? <laughs> what a great reminder. Didn't, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He is reminding them in no uncertain terms that his sovereignty, his sovereignty trumps. It trumps all of our foolishness. And uh, the Holy Spirit led the Apostle John to give us a little bit of a note there in verse 71. He spoke of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the 12, was going to betray him. You know what this reveals? If you believe R.C. Sproul's commentary, and I do, he, Judas Iscariot was never picked, was never with him. How do you know? Because he went away from him. Why would God pick him? Because he needed a functionary. That's difficult theology. Probably our other elders, Brett and Casey, our worship team, who everybody's got to stare in their face, are going, couldn't, couldn't he have preached Jesus wept or something tonight? You know, we had baptism, Jesus crying, filled the pool, something. Well, here's the cool thing. Maybe for the first time in your life, the good news is coming to you in a way you've never thought of, you've never heard. The good news that God gives you the gift of believing on Jesus, the gift is yours, and then you get to proclaim it as a gift of, for eternity, for yourself. That's what Peter does. He says, we don't got anywhere else to go. I don't want you to miss this. Uh, if you've been hanging here through all this passage, all along in John 6, the people have been grumbling and, and complaining, and they don't like what Jesus is saying. But does he back up off of what he's saying? He doesn't because he's saying the truth. So friends, maybe tonight a gift is being given to you. The gift of Jesus. And how do you receive it? He says simply, believe. The work is to believe. Believe that he is the unique servant sent from heaven by God to live righteousness, die righteously for sin, to be buried, and on the third day to rise again. He died for sin. He rose to defeat death. And just like Casey so expertly gave us in words, you can come into the ark. Well, who's the one who even told you about the ark? God. Who's the one that bade you to come to the ark? God. You can say, I'd like to be in the ark. And as I said last week, as Augustine says, when you think about the manna, to believe is to eat. That's eating. That's believing. You say, yes, Jesus, no longer will I try to do this on my own. No longer will I resist. No longer will I be a wayward rebel. I see the gift of Jesus is also for me, that you are giving Jesus to me, and I believe. I believe. I believe on Jesus to forgive my debt. I believe on Jesus to give me life. I believe on Jesus to defeat death. I believe on Jesus to deliver me to heaven. I believe on Jesus to keep God's wrath off of me. He will be my ark bearing God's wrath. I believe on Jesus to change my life. I believe on Jesus 
to change my eternity. Do the work and believe. Tonight, I, I humbly thank you all for coming to East Rock, our regulars and our members and our guests. And I thank God for snow two weeks ago so that I could get a big crowd and preach this message to. Does Jesus offend? I'm going to close with a silly story that I hope you see the point of. Used to be a gymnasium in Allensville. Some of you guys will remember this. Uh, I know Bill Dunkley remembers it. He helped them lay the foundation for it back in alt seven. And uh, on Sunday mornings with all the rest of the heathens, I'd avoid church and go play basketball. Well, I went to steal a pass or deflect a pass one day and uh, just felt a sharp pain. I looked and my thumb was laying back here. I had just caught it just right, and, uh, I, you know, I, as quick as I could, I flipped it back over, and that thing swole up so bad, and, and, uh, and I went to, to our local hospital. It was on a Sunday afternoon by the time I got there, and I waited around forever, and the cotton-picking doctor come in wearing one of them golf outfits, and that tried my patience, and first thing he done was grab my hand, said, does this hurt? I said, mm, No. The reason a lot of times Jesus starts out offending us is because he's touching the most painful place in our life, our separation with God, our sin, our unlikeness. We're unlike him. He just says, hey, you're nothing like me. You go, man, that hurt. But what the doctor wanted to do was identify so that he could then analyze and analyze that he might understand and understand that he might pursue a course of mending. But it made me so mad. The first thing he took, he, Molly, why do you, why do y'all people do this stuff? He grabbed it right here like this. Does that hurt? No, man, do it again. <laughs> a lot of times, you, you know, and a lot of people will run from this moment. It might be painful, but he's giving you Jesus. I'm gonna pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Now, God, as we, as we take some moments to reflect, I pray, God, that you speak to people as only you can. As only you can. And help us to respond only as you'd have us to. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.